Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is e-commerce logistics innovation with my friend Stephanie Cannon. Stephanie is the Senior Vice President of Operations Excellence and Collaborative Innovation at Pitney Bowes. Pitney Bowes is a global shipping and mailing company that provides technology, logistics, and financial services to help clients simplify the complexity of sending parcels and mail. They work with 90% of the Fortune 500. Huge company, very successful company. In the e-commerce business, the bar is high and getting higher every day, which is why the best companies in space, like Pitney Bowes, are investing in innovation. Stephanie and her team are driving continuous improvement and innovation across all the company's global operations. So check out my conversation with Stephanie Cannon. So how's it going, Stephanie? It's going good. How are you? Doing great, doing great. So Stephanie, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah, Stephanie Cannon. I am based out of Austin, Texas, and I work for Pitney Bowes. A little bit about Pitney Bowes. We're a global shipping and mailing company, really reducing the complexities for our shippers. We work for over 90% of Fortune 500 companies. And where I lay within Pitney Bowes, I work on the global e-commerce side. And I have the Operations Excellence and Collaborative Innovation Group, which is really widespread, everything from automation to standardization. But we really are a support function for Pitney Bowes, really highly focused on creating consistent, reliable, and predictable operations. And that's really from our physical side of our operations. And that's everything from our warehousing and to our transportation. I think a little bit about me is I grew up in a little farm town in Waynesfield, Ohio, From there, I went to college at University of Toledo, got my Bachelor of Science in Industrial Engineering. I originally started out in pre-med, went over to the engineering, absolutely loved it, and was fortunate enough to land some co-ops with UPS early in my career. And with that, after I graduated, I came into the management trainee program at UPS, where they rotate you around into many different functions within that organization to really drive a really good long-term leader uh, within that organization, everything from their warehousing to their transportation operations, and really making sure that you truly understand that business and every aspect of that. From there, I think it was there between co-oping and my tenure there, about eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're a juggernaut. It's good. You can't get better experience than being at UPS from an ops perspective and just logistics perspective. They're the leader, one of the leaders. Absolutely. So I learned a lot in my career early on there. One of the biggest things too is just work ethic, right? They really great on teaching you just work ethic. And from there, I made a little change, went into consulting, very different type of career. I went into consulting, but consulting for e-commerce logistics, a lot around workforce optimization, went to Western Road Partners and their workforce optimization program. What was different there, I think a highlight in the career was really having more of a subject matter expert experience, but working with our customers, like really that client experience, you had to go out and sell your your stuff. And then you also had to be able to deliver on those projects, right? And really drive value added solutions for customers. So a very different side of it, you go from the operations into sort of the customer facing 
With that, after that, I got an opportunity to come to Nugistics, which was later acquired by Pitney Bowes. Nugistics was a really a technology company, a startup technology company out of the Austin area, backed by Little John Ventures. And with there, I started out with the industrial running their industrial engineering group and head of director of operations for their fulfillment practices there. After we were acquired, I was asked to step into a strategy role, Pitney Bowes, where Pitney Bowes was really at the pivotal time. They had made some acquisitions for the global e-commerce side and really came to where they were building a digital and physical transportation network. And so that was everything from how do we build out a network that can service all of our clients and have the capacity that we need and also build out an automated platform that can service those customers. And so I spent many years um, working on that. And, and through that, it's where I landed to where I am today is where as we became more mature, as we were building out all the automation and the practices was really having an organization that could continue to drive those exceptional day in and day out quality uh, results for all of our customers and create design delivery solutions and really be a consultative company. Excellent. Excellent. That's a mouthful. So you said something early on, you said that Pitney Bowes works with 90% of the Fortune 500. Mm -hmm. And what do you guys do for them? So we do shipping and mailing. So we have three different types of our businesses and financial solutions. So I don't want to forget about that. So we have what we call a Centec business. It's more what you would think about as the mailing meter industry. Around that, though, over the evolution of those 100 years, they've created the Pitney Bowes Shipping Cube, which is really a full end-to-end, really shipping solution, digital, digital, and they have the Shipping Cube for all of the customers across the globe. And so they've transformed that just mailing meter industry business to really a high-end technology shipping solution. The second part of the business is a pre-sort business. So we pre-sort 18 billion pieces of mail for the post office. It's a work share program. And we're delivering those then to the post office for final delivery. And then we have the global e-commerce side, which is where I lay. And what we do is we are shipping parcels for our customers. So finished box, label on that box, it comes into our warehouses and we ship all of those. And then we deliver those to the post office so they can deliver those final mile. Yep. And the final mile is always the most expensive one. So, so a lot of companies, and I think people don't realize this um, when they talk about e-commerce or even the mail, is they don't realize that a lot of companies are in the middle mile, I'll call it, the pre-sorting, collecting, pre-sorting, and then driving it to the zip codes sometimes to deliver. And the Postal Service has found new life in being that final mile because they built out <laughs> uh, that over the last hundred years, but Pitney Bowes has been around since the beginning of time. I think it's one of the oldest companies on the stock exchange. Am I right to say that? Yes. And I think I remember using, and again, it's very low tech compared to what we have now, but it was so cool, like a mail meter where it was like, we put all these envelopes in and it just put the labels on them. Boom. (laughs) And it was like, if you had to put the individual stamps on, it'd be like all day. And Yes, yeah, sounded was really high tech 15 years ago, but not so much now. You go, why are you sending mail? But anyway, getting back to it, Pitney Bowes is a juggernaut. They are a huge company. And it's so I, I've interviewed people before from Pitney Bowes. And what I didn't realize is how much of our e-commerce goes through Pitney Bowes. And I know you guys have locations all over the place, 
But I think what we're also starting to see, talk to other very large uh, warehousing companies, the difference between the small guys and the big guys now is the investment and in, in engineering and automation and technology versus we have a warehouse with shelves and people walk around and move stuff off it. And next year we're getting a WMS. <laughs> and I think if you're a company that cares about efficiency, you're going to end up at a bigger company that has the real capabilities. So today's topic is e-commerce logistics innovation. And I know we could have probably also called this, but we didn't have enough room for the title. We could have called this retail e-commerce because I know you guys do what we'll call omni-channel, which is all of it. So why do we need to innovate in this space right now? It seems like it's all working out. <laughs> yeah, I listen, innovation is critical for the future. I, I think it started many years ago, if you think about innovation, it started with warehousing. You have shortages in labor, transportation, shortages in labor. How do we also scale, right? If you look at companies now, profiles are changing rapidly. Businesses are changing rapidly. Business models are changing rapidly. And when you innovate digitally or physically, you're able to create a more, what I would say, predictable and reliable, but also be able to drive out a lot of the costs within warehousing and transportation, but also create that predictability, right? Being able to have a stable solution that can provide for your customers, provide the capacity that's needed day in and day out so that you can continue to service your customers with the best quality and the SLAs that's needed. So innovation, I, I believe, is going to continue to transform every company. And you can do it in different phases, right? A lot of companies are starting on the digital side, a lot of starting on the physical side uh, when it comes to how they innovate. And every company is going to have a little bit of a unique solution. Within the warehouses, though, if you think about where we're at today, I, and I'll talk about this a little bit because it's changed. Years ago, uh, a few years back, right, when we had the COVID spike, everybody was, it was the race to how do we get automation? How do we automate these facilities? Let's spend a ton, ton of capital. You saw that the lead times went from nine months to 12 months to 18 months. And really, a lot of these automation and robotics companies were really becoming at capacity in order to service. The other thing, too, is if you looked at the robotics, was really starting to just become very new within warehouses. The transformation just in the past year and a half is it's gone from, it's not really new technology, where there's a lot of new technology happening within their technology, right? Where they're spending a lot more time on AI and predictability and how they build their AI models, right? And how that's replacing more of it. So spending less on how the hardware and the technology is working and a lot more on the software that backs that technology or the say a robotic arm. But we, I think companies have done it a little bit different over the years. I think the problem that needs to be solved is we have to be able to, no matter what's happening, we have to be able to service our customers, right? So you need to have capacity. When our profiles change, if you look at traditional automation, you spend say $30 million on a warehouse, you put in all these traditional automation and conveyance, what happens when your profiles change in two years? Your payback might have been seven years. You have to rip all that out. So you see robotics really starting to make a huge play in the market now because they're cost of service models. They preserve cash. That's all really actually critical right now is the economy is unpredictable. 
So the preservation of cash is really critical to retailers and e-commerce shippers. So being able to utilize robotics and other models in order to preserve that cash, but also still solve what you need in your warehouse about driving costs out, you know, the predictability that you need, the capacity, and also the reduced reliability on, um, you know, the use of labor. Yep. And there's so many issues related to getting robots. So I think the cost of robots has come down in the last generation for sure. But we also needed a certain amount of business going through. So if I've got a small warehouse somewhere and I say, we're doing okay, we got 10 guys here, that's fine. But when you talk about working with Fortune 500 companies, they have enormous volumes and they hope to have even more enormous volumes. And so when you, the cost of robots coming down, we also see companies like yours spending a ton on technology saying, how do we get better? How do we get more efficient? How do we get more predictable? But also we have that workforce piece. And you mentioned a little bit about it before we hit record. Workforce optimization is so important. Here in the United States, we have a labor shortage and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. I am one of the youngest baby boomers and my generation, as we retire, we are the boom. There are fewer people behind us. And we're also a fairly wealthy country. I always ask people, are your children being um, prepared to be a truck driver or work in a warehouse? And the answer is typically, no, I want them to go into something more professional. I think we're going to start seeing people in warehouses, and you're probably already true in your warehouses, who are more on the professional side. They're technicians, they're, they're professionals who are not paid just to walk around and lift heavy things all day because that's not sustainable. I can't have a workforce that stays around for 20 years in, a, in an environment where they're going to hurt their back, where they got to walk 10 miles a day. It just doesn't work. So I think we're seeing it. There's a whole bunch of influences saying, get some damn robots. <laughs> yeah. What's crazy too is what you'll see is the trends that are changing is no longer these companies that are investing in this technology and the robotics are now posting jobs, robot operators, right? Those are very value-added positions. Those are enticing and engaging positions. You're starting to see more warehouses that are being operated by people behind the scenes, right? Really looking at the digital part of it and flowing the buildings the way that they need to be flowed. And using all the data that's coming in from all the automation in order to have more predictable insights on how do I run more efficient? How do I build out a network, our transportation network in order to be more efficient, which is the transportation side is a whole different game and a lot to talk about on that side as well. Yep. I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on Wreaths Across America Radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. Armed Forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. So getting back to it, I think also when you get some training, I'm not so sure it needs necessarily even needs to be a bachelor's degree. But you learn to use the robotic equipment and at, at a Pitney Bowes, and you are now in the supply chain. And I think that's how we have to start looking at our warehouses as this is the first step in a supply chain career. You started at UPS, and that was your step into the... And there's a lot of people who start at UPS 
who they might start off driving a truck and before long they're working in the rest of the business. And I think that's exactly what we need to start looking at because we have a supply chain problem in that we, we're lacking people who want to do that work at the bottom level. We have to make it an entry level, not a dead end job where I'm hired to walk around and lift things. Because that again, it's just not sustainable. I'm from an automotive background. I say it all the time on my podcast. I shouldn't say it again, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I first started in automotive, you, when you went to a plant, the jobs in those plants was you'd be at the end of the day, you'd be dirty, sweaty, tired, and maybe hurt. That's not sustainable. We realized that. So we started adding first with conveyors and then robotics. And if you walk through those plants today, nobody's doing a job that is going to hurt them. And most of them aren't getting dirty or sweaty. It's still hard work, but it's, it's a good job. Yeah. And I think good advice to just any retail or e-commerce company is if you have not started working on programs and ways to upskill your workers or get them the training that they need, or really working at developing these new positions within the warehouse, you're behind. So that's something that will continue to drive benefit for a company. Yeah, exactly. I know we just talked a little bit about robotics. We talked a little bit about why we need those robots. Talk a little bit about transportation. By the way, let me preface this. Before we hit record, we were talking about this. When I was in automotive, we would look at we would look at transportation. It's five percent of revenue. And the reason is because we're sending most of the stuff, the transportation is going from one assembly from a factory to an assembly plant. And it's a full truck usually optimized every truckload, multiple per week. It's great. Most of us who were in automotive didn't have to pay close attention to it because it was just, it was optimized. When we talk about e-commerce, I think we're talking about 20, 25% of the cost of the revenue is e-commerce. I'm sorry, is transportation. And now the difference between success and failure could be that transportation cost and you're a UPS person, you've probably paid attention to the recent negotiations. I think we're looking at uh, rate increases of 11 or 12% coming up in the new year. And that could push some companies to have to raise their costs and potentially lose some business. So from a transportation perspective, Penny, but I'll talk just about in general, the trends in the market that are happening, but I'm also, we, we are doing things already to be on the forefront of this, but I think two or three years ago, we said, oh, autonomous vehicles, middle mile, long haul, that is so far off. We're not there, government regulations, it's it's not going to happen right away, but it's really cool tech, let's keep exploring it. I think what you're going to find is, even especially with this UPS contract, but also just if you're looking at the driver shortages that continue to increase and the wages that continue to increase. The other thing too that's important I want everyone to know is this push in the world about sustainability, right? And everybody is interested in sustainability. You're going to see that this technology is going to start to accelerate very quickly. And people that can be on the forefront of that adoption and, te- and, and, on, and testing that technology in advance is going to have a competitive advantage in the long term. And so one of the things that we've done that I think other companies can really take a look at and think about too is we have started to look at how do we use uh, autonomous vehicles or technology? And Gaddick actually is one of our partners that we've partnered with. Wait, what is it? Gaddick. I don't know them. What do they do? So Gaddick is a, they're focused on middle mile. 
They do about 300 mile round trips per day. They are highly focused on repeatable, reliable routes that they're doing. So they're not doing long haul across state lines. Why that has allowed Gaddick to enter the market and go fully autonomous quicker, they actually have fully autonomous vehicles on the road as of today in Canada. Drivers in it still or? No, no drivers at all. Our trucks have drivers still, and I'll explain why, because we just started a pilot, but they do have companies that they've already pulled those out of. But why Gaddick has actually done a really good job about it is because they have got away from having to go over state lines, which creates federal regulations, right? So they've focused on state regulations, right? And they're tackling state by state. But what they're also doing is, is they're keeping it within the state. They're doing very middle mile, which is rinse and repeatable. So from a facility to a store, or for us, it's, a, it's our warehouse to the postal service. And so those are 150 to 300 miles. They can put the driver in there and they can remove that driver very quickly after they train the route because the route is very repeatable, right? We go to the same, on a route, same 74 post offices every single day because we have to deliver our things there. Gaddick has done something that's very unique, which I think a lot of companies could benefit from if they're using from store to store or going to other places where they need just a class six middle mile transportation solution. But what we've done though, is said, okay, listen, we may not, they may not be fully autonomous now. They're not fully autonomous, but there's a few different things that you can benefit from. We're putting our trucks on there. We're training the trucks. We have a, what you would call an autonomous vehicle operator in there. What they're doing is they're really just sitting there. They're sitting there. They're making sure that the truck goes where it says it's going to be. If we make changes, you know, they can quickly adapt to that. You're not freaking people out either, Stephanie, because if I'm driving on the expressway and I look up and there's no driver in that truck, <laughs> I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, there's a driver in ours now, <laughs> which is great. So the driver sits there. They only have to intervene if something, if there's a need to intervene. And then once- This is a temporary measure. The temporary measure, I will say that they, Gaddick has drove over a million miles and zero safety incidents. Autonomy actually, I think the misconception is that it's not as safe because there's not a human there. What we have seen so far in the market is, is they're a lot safer because they slow, they go the speed limits, they slow quickly. There's a lot of fuel optimization there. They're, like I said, it's a repeatable, what I would say is a repeatable round. It's not like they're just making their own decisions up every day, but it's going to allow us to not only be able to contract with them, we're contracting with them. We're going to the same places every day, but when autonomy actually does become widely spread and widely adopted, we're not going to be on the end of the market where we're all of a sudden trying to put in a bunch of orders and get this technology out of there. We're actually on the forefront of it. The other great thing about it is the technology that they have on their trucks and the data they're collecting. We, from our, as we're building out and, and have built out our transportation technology, right? Proprietary transportation technology. Ultimately, a lot of companies, um, if you can get to dynamic transportation models, we are based upon the volume you have coming in your facilities that day. You can change dynamically in order to reduce your cost and create a more cost-effective. Also, if volume goes up, you're able to reroute immediately in order to make sure you're servicing those customers at the highest level that you can, your customers, and people can service their customers. We will be ready and, and have that technology at our fingertips in order to roll out when it is widely adopted. What you'll find, though, is I think it's... In, 
it could be changed a little bit today, but I believe it's about 25 states have already approved fully autonomous vehicles with no human in the driver's seat. I see them in Ann Arbor by my house. There's there's buses and stuff drive around. I know I saw a car driving around one time with no driver. Yeah. I got to th- throw this out there. I, and I think, Stephanie, you'll tell your great-grandchildren and they will laugh out loud that, oh yeah, when I was your age, I drove around in a car and I was in control. And they'd be like, what if you were screwing around? What if you're playing with the radio or playing with your phone? They were like, you'd be like, yeah, we did. We killed like 50,000 people a year because of our carelessness. They'd be like, what were you, barbarians? Were you crazy? I honestly think that. And we tend to see with technology, it goes slow and then really fast. And if you think about cars right now, your car has cruise control. You don't think of that as autonomous, but it does adjust your speed, right? We also see the assisted park. We see a whole bunch of assist assistive technologies on our cars. It's not going to be so long. And by the way, we also know this, that when you get to cities, a lot of the congestion is just people looking for parking spots. As soon as all of those parking spots are digital and I, and my car, I could, my car could drop me off at the restaurant and drive three miles away and go park somewhere. I don't care. I think we're going to have clear up a lot of problems, but I think what we'll see a transition period where we still have drivers, but maybe we get to the point where we say the drivers are driving in certain areas that uh, uh, autonomous doesn't do well, but in straightaways that we feel very comfortable with where we have, maybe we'll call it an approved route. Mm-hmm. We won't need that driver. And I know it works a lot better in Texas because you don't have weather there like we have you're from the midwest so you understand the difference between 110 degrees (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's but here in michigan it's raining right now of course but we get snow we get a lot of different weather and so we're going to see different cities different regions adapt differently it's going to be a little harder to get autonomy in the northeast in the midwest but in areas where there's no rain like Texas or snow, it's a lot easier. Although who knows with the weather these days, you guys could get a little bit of snow. Yeah, I love what you're doing. And boy, talk about solving a problem. Not only is it cheaper, but also you mentioned the cost of trucking. I was just talking to a driver. I, I was walking by a retailer by my house and they. I was asking, I noticed the truck company, trucking company, and I was talking to the driver and he said, I go, how do you like working there? And he goes, they're really nice to me. Great company, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, what are you waiting for to be unloaded? He goes, no, I'm waiting for my hours. And I was like, oh, how many, how, how much longer do you can drive? And he was just going from Michigan down to Ohio and he's like another hour. And I, I felt bad for him because he unloaded and he spent the night in his truck and now he's waiting. And I was thinking, that's a horrible life. That is not what we want for people. And I think we've got to get to the place where drivers are home more, paid better, And I think also if we can take out some of the monotonous part for them, that would be better. And this sounds like exactly what you guys are playing around with. I invest in it. (laughs) Just to add on to that, like we're partnering, we're working to partner with Plus.ai, which is a little bit different, right? It's driver assisted for long hauls. So it's not fully autonomy, so they don't have to get that. But What they're doing is they're actually creating a better job experience for a truck driver because the truck driver, once they get on the geo fence, which is the highway, they're in control of the truck when they need to be. 
but they sit back and the truck does the work for them. They only have to interfere when needed. So you know what that does though? It helps with fatigue. It yes. also helps with them not getting burnout. It's actually an incredibly favorable job for them. And so even I want to, I think there's a misconception that we're replace that all of this is going to replace drivers. There's, there's such a driver shortage. This is really going to supplement and make supplement the drivers that we are short on so we can continue to, to run e-commerce. Right. And then the other portion of it's going to be is creating a better valuable ex driver experience for the ones who do continue to drive. And plus.ai is actually one of those companies doing something just like that. And instead of having to have 30 years of safe driving experience, you can now have drivers that have two years and they're having better safety ratings than somebody who's been there for a long time as well. Yeah, I love that. But I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Greenscreens. That's greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using green screens gain the following advantages. Faster pricing for both buy side and sell side transactions. Pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out Green Screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. So getting back to it, I think what we tend to do is, we say it all the time on my podcast, is let's let technology do the work that technology does really well, and then let's let humans do the work that we're really good at. And the work we're asking the drivers to do right now is very difficult, and it's not always lucrative enough for what they're doing. And again, that driver the other day, when I asked if he was happy with this company, he said, yeah, I like them very much. He goes, it's just not paying enough anymore. And and I was thinking, yeah, he slept in his truck last night and he's waiting around at eight o'clock in the morning to get his hours to go back home. And I was thinking, it's that's not good. And it's again, from Michigan to Ohio is not very far. I know we've, go, we've jumped all over the place here. So I know we wanted to talk about a few things. So one of the things that we talked about, you had sent me a note. Uh, it says, focus on value versus implementation and R&D this season. And I think this is related to the role of technology. Companies aren't investing as much now. Please explain. Yeah, I think with the uh, unpredictability of the economy, you had COVID, that big spike, uh, you have unpredictability of the economy now. And I think a lot of e-commerce shippers, retailers, everybody, right, that's in the e-commerce industry has really had to take a look this year and say, hey, do we actually need to spend the capital to go out and build new automation or do this? And I think a lot of companies have really turned the focus now around to, we made all these investments over the past, say, five years. How do we actually take a look back and actually drive the most value that we can out of the investments we've already made and really start to get the return on our investments and really try to use that to increase the capacity that we need to service our customers? So I think that is the that has really been a, a huge focus for us and a lot of other companies out there in the market. And I think you'll continue to see that trend through early next year until we can get more predictability on where this economy is happening because people really do need to conserve cash. And this reminds me, nobody's told me different. I think I've asked the question many times to people, what percentage of warehousing companies have one location? And I've always heard it's about 50%. 
which 20 years ago was fine. You would have one location. It would probably be somewhere in Ohio or Indiana because that was like 60, you can get to 65% of the population in one day. That was fine in this, in that environment. But now in the same day, next day world that we live in, I need a warehousing partner that can do same day, next day. And I think it requires some obviously scale. I'm going to have multiple locations, but to be successful on same day, next day is very different than being successful in retail logistics, where you say once a week, we drive a truckload to that location and LTL to this location. And that's that. Now we're saying, if I get it by two in the afternoon, it has to ship out today. We have a very, the bar has gotten very high and the very high, especially in that e-commerce side. Am I right to say that? Yes. Yes, you are. And I think it's it's driven a lot of investment. And by the way, we also had this conversation before we record. We saw a lot of warehousing companies pop up during COVID because there was a lot of e-commerce going on. And a lot of these companies were tech-centric, which is great, but they weren't necessarily operators. And now we're seeing, hey, you got to be an operator. Yeah. <laughs> Pitney Bowes was operating warehouses before I was born. Yeah. And now they're able to invest in technology. I think we need companies that can invest not only in the technology, but also in the ops. And that means locations and workforces and the regulation and compliance and all the stuff that goes with managing a set very large organization. That's what's, that's why so many Fortune 500 are working with you. I don't think we're going to see a million warehouses that are small going forward. It just, to me, it makes sense that we start to see some scale. And again, I could see some small regionals all connecting and under one technology, that makes sense. But I think the world needs scale and speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think people opened a lot of warehouses because of capacity constraints and stuff like that. And I think what you'll see now is you've seen a lot of companies, especially Amazon, there's warehouses sitting there, right? That they built and decided not to use and maybe they will later. But I think a lot of people are spending a lot more time looking at how do we rationalize those networks? We build it all out, but let's go back and take a look. Did we really need those? How do we rationalize it? How do we rationalize the network, the inventory that's coming into those warehouses? And I think you're going to start to see a lot more of that as e-commerce really stables, stabilizes. Yeah, I think also I heard somebody say this not so long ago. He said, when we were talking about micro-fulfillment, meaning one of these smaller warehouse, smaller footprint, but maybe close to a population center, maybe right in the city. And he says, it's a lot easier to find that warehouse than it is to find somebody who knows how to run that warehouse. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, who are you hiring for that? Because you need, you can't just bring in it from scratch and say, oh, I just hired a whole bunch of local people and they're going to run this warehouse. No, I have to have a warehouse management team that gets it, that has some uh, experience, some expertise. World has changed. Yeah. So I also wanted to talk to you about collaborative innovation. It's an e- some, also something you sent me in an email here. So what do you mean about collaborative innovation? So collaborative innovation was was a thought that we really developed here at Penny Bowes back in 2019. As we were growing, um, we had done a bunch of acquisitions. We knew, hey, listen, we really needed to automate a significant amount of buildings in two and a half years. We needed to fill out concrete. There's only so much capital, right, you can get. So we it, it really was driven by we have X amount of capital to spend 
um, but we need to solve this and we need to get to X unit economics, right, within our warehouses. That's where the birth of collaborative innovation came along was, is looking at different ways to go out and really look at early, early adopt, or not early adopter, sorry, but looking at emerging technologies, right, with new startup companies and saying, how can we use your technology and can we partner together and build a product roadmap together that's going to solve a real world problem for us in our warehouses, as well as other warehouses. And we really spent a lot of time collaborating with them, building out product roadmaps and looking at how can we solve these solutions. And it's important too, that when we were building out those product roadmaps that we spent a lot of time collaborating, but also the communication back and forth. So we build prototypes, we put them in the warehouses, we used our warehouses to test that technology. And then spent a significant amount of time feeding information back and forth with them so they could quickly and rapidly change that product roadmap in order to actually deliver a solution that was scalable quickly. I think what was different about what we did, and, and I hope other companies can adopt this as well, is getting piloting that stuff, but really spending a significant amount of time collaborating back and forth on what's wrong, what's working, how do we design this better, what do we do, will deliver a solution that works for you very well, very quickly. We were able to pilot a lot of different, like plus one robotics, ambi robotics, we piloted only for two months and we did full scale rollouts very rapidly after that. You'll find a lot of companies will pilot for 12 to 18 months before they scale. I believe there's better ways to do that. And so that collaborative innovation program really allowed us to define those processes quickly, understand the metrics and, and roll those technologies out at large scale quicker so that we could get that unit economics that we needed at a faster pace. Yeah, it sounds like the technology roadmap that we traditionally would have it's not just internal now. Now it's like there's an ecosystem around Pitney Bowes that is, hey, we would love to be part of that part of that ecosystem so we can start to test out our technologies. And by the way, I think a lot of startups now are looking and saying, how do we partner with our customer that allow us to pilot stuff in their locations? And I think it's I think it's great. And by the way, 10, 15 years ago, your role probably didn't exist at Pitney Bowes. We, the idea that we'd be talking about robotics was always like, we talked about robots forever. We just didn't do it because we didn't have the volume that price was too high. And we, we had plenty of plentiful labor. Now we don't have, now it's the price is down and we're starting to prove these things out. We don't have the, we don't have the labor and we have massive volumes and it's not, it's only going to grow. Hopefully the, the robots are finally seeing their day. And, and by the way, I, when I was a kid, we talked about robots. That's a long time ago. We, we always said, oh, robots are going to do all this. And I'm thinking, it's just like the flying car thing. We talked about flying cars. When are we going to get one? <laughs> yeah. And I think the, what's changed in the world too is the focus on AI and computer science and AI within a lot of universities and stuff. Like people are building technology all day. Back in the day, you probably didn't have that many people working on it. You had, you're from automotive, right? You had automotive. It was, you trained it to do one thing over and over. This burst of deep learning and AI and all that stuff has really, I think, increased the flexibility of robotics and being able to put that software on there and deliver those solutions a lot quicker. I want to put a bow on this bad boy. So give us your final thoughts on this. Talk about why we need e-commerce innovation and what you guys are doing about that e-commerce logistics innovation. Yeah. E-commerce innovation is critical for the future. 
It differentiates you. It's going to allow us to be able to handle the capacity that's needed for growth in e-commerce. E-commerce is growing at an exceptional rate, even in a in an economy that's not everybody's really sure about. You'll still see that parcels are growing. People are buying things online. And so this industry is going to grow. You will need robotics. You will need innovation and transportation in order to handle the capacity that's going to be needed in the future. So that is why we innovate and that is going to be critical for everyone. Awesome. Awesome. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll also put a link to Pitney Bowes and the website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, Stephanie, people who are killing it in the space. Who else should I talk to? One of the, I think one of the greatest companies that we worked with in collaborative innovation and really had a lot of success with was Ambi Robotics. I think Jim Leifer, he's their CEO there. I think he would have an incredible large amount of insight. He also was in uh, the supply chain world in many different companies, uh, including Walmart years ago, and he sort of transitioned to the robotics world. And I think he has a lot of insights on the more operational side of it and how it really translates now, the technology now translates to how you really need that in your warehouses. Awesome. So who's the sweet spot for Pitney Bowes? Who do you guys work with? I know that's a massive list, but give us the who, who you yeah, work with. Yeah, we have a massive right? list, but I think some of the big ones are Victoria's Secret, Function of Beauty, eBay, and companies like that. We have a lot of lo- small and medium businesses and also a ton of large retailers as well. And what problems do you solve for them? So we're taking the complexities and creating design delivery solutions for their shipping capabilities. Awesome. Awesome. So what conferences will we see you and the Pitney Bowes people at? Yeah. So I will be at PAC Expo in Las Vegas coming up. I don't know exact dates, it, but I think it's coming up pretty soon. You'll also see me. I'll be speaking. I'll be speaking at that one, but I'll also be speaking at the Next Gen Supply Chain Conference in October in Chicago. Oh, where's that? That'll be in Chicago. I never heard of that one. Next Gen, huh? Yep. Next Gen Supply Chain. What's that all about? So it's a lot of executives collaborating and speaking, and it's really for anybody that's in the supply chain world to really talk about everything from what we're doing in the supply chain, clear through the technologies. It's not just about technology. It's about everything. It's about really for the end to end. Awesome. Awesome. That that sounds like a great one. I'm assuming I will see you at Manifest in uh, February. You will. You will. <laughs> yeah, it's the same week as the Super Bowl. So we have to all, maybe we scalp tickets for 50, 100 bucks, go to the Super Bowl <laughs> after Manifest. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I really like what you guys are doing. I, and again, you've been doing it the right way for a long time. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast and talking about what you guys are up to. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.